Say hello and welcome to Resistance Radio. I'm John Kane with Regan DeLoggins, and uh, we are happy to be here. And um, we're happy that you've joined us here. Um, look, before uh, before I even introduce Regan, let me remind people again, as uh, as, as we all do, that we are um, listener support radio, and we we count on your support for the station or stations um, that that air our, our broadcast. And we ask that you make a contribution to WBAI and WPFW. And uh, so if you're listening in New York, please do uh, dial the pledge line. That's 212-209-2950. Or go online to give to WBAI.org. Again, that number is 212-209-2950. And give to WBAI.org. And that's for WBAI listeners in in New York City. If you're listening to us on WPFW, I ask that you go to 202-588-9739 or go to WPFWFM.org and make a contribution to the station in the name of Resistance Radio. Uh, all right, so let me get back. <laughs> get to, Regan, are you with us? Not yet. Oh, not yet. All right. Well, see, that's why I have to ask. You know, we are doing this. This We're all still in this COVID protocol, so we're all doing our shows uh, remotely. I'm, um, as many of you know, I do my show. I used to travel um, eight hours by train, <laughs> literally every week, to go to Brooklyn to do WBF. And now I do it from the, the Seneca Nation territory of Cattaraugus and uh, set up a little studio back here uh, so I can do this show remotely. Um, you know, and oftentimes it, it, it does keep me in a way a little bit more grounded about where the perspective that I'm bringing to New York comes from. Of course, I can carry it with me by train and, and still talk about it from New York. The one thing I will say that I miss the most is um, is the live events, the events I used to be able to do downstairs, the Commons Cafe or uh, in various other places in the city. So hopefully when, when some of this stuff passes, I'll be able to hit the road and at least make it to New York. Maybe I won't be there every week like I was in the past, but at least to, to come and uh, do some of these live events. Film screenings, there's been a lot of films that I would love to uh, um put uh, put out there and and have the the q and a's afterwards uh, as we have done in the past and i appreciate all of you all of you who have come out to those events and of course now that wpfw has picked us up and eh, maybe we'll get a chance to get down to washington to do a few events down there as well so um uh, let's, that's what we ha still have to look forward to now there's a lot of stuff that goes on uh and we 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 talk a lot about native perspectives on on the issues that affect us all, and sometimes just native issues that you may not be familiar with at all. Obviously, one of the biggest things that's in the news is the uh, is the conviction of the killer cop. Uh, I don't even want to mention his name, so I, I don't even bother. But uh, um, but the, this killer cop in uh, in Minneapolis. And look, I saw the euphoria, and I don't I don't look I don't blame folks for celebrating and and feeling you know, some little twinge of vindication to see one of these these white cops killing another unarmed black man being convicted of of a charge, and in this case, a murder charge, albeit only second degree and third degree murder. Um, but I'm, I'm telling you, I just feel like it's gotta be put in perspective. And, you know, there's a lot of speculation because it'll be another eight weeks before they actually sentence him. But among most of the voices that I've heard about the sentencing is the suggestion that he will probably get something along the lines of uh, of a 12-year sentence. And, you know, look, 
it doesn't matter that he was convicted for three charges. They don't run them consecutively. They run them concurrently. So he might get 12 years for for uh, second-degree murder and 12 years for third-degree murder, and he can get another 12 years for uh, for manslaughter. But they're going to run them all over. He's, he's going to serve them all at the same time, so it's going to be 12 years. And it's not even really 12 years because in Minnesota, you only serve two-thirds of a sentence. That means in eight years. So this guy could literally be out free and clear in eight years. Uh, and look, I know there's some talk about enhancing the, the sentencing because of you know children who, who viewed it and, um, and, and that kind of stuff. But that's, you know, that's really where we're, you know, that's the concern, right? That's the concern. Regan, have you been? Have you joined us yet? I I hope y'all can hear me okay. Uh, yes, I, yes I can. Yes Great. I can. Uh, uh, Regan, give me give me your thoughts on on the uh, on it for just a bit. Just give me your your thoughts. Oh, um, particularly about uh. The, well, marriage. the conviction in general, and and uh, how okay. <laughs> how euphoric uh, people should be about this. This has been a difficult thing. I was actually having a conversation with a friend before the show specifically about this uh, because I've been struggling really, as many of us have, uh, with the conviction. Um, and I think for me, this is not a time, this is a not celebratory. Um, I personally, and this is coming, of course, from, a, you know, I'm, I'm a non-black person uh, though I am a person of color, so I feel like that is an, a really important uh, lens to be that that I am expressing. It's a you know from this particular lens, which is that I am I don't find justice in this, but I'm also an abolitionist, so I don't find justice within the carceral system at all, and I don't find this to be just or joyous because in the end, um, another black man had to die. Uh, and I don't find justice in this because as the conviction was being read, um, as like literally as the conviction was being read and, you know, people were, were, were celebrating Columbus police officers killed a young black girl. Micaiah Bryant, age 16, was shot to death by cops when this conviction was coming down. And I think that that is something that for me, I can't celebrate this. First, because I don't support the carceral system. There is no justice in putting this man in prison, especially knowing that the prison system in itself is a problematic system and knowing that he will not serve a lot of time. Also, he was convicted uh, not on first degree. So it was as if, his if as if it was an accidental murder so i think that that's really important for us to frame this when the, when we all know the reality is that derek chauvin knew george floyd was an abhorrent racist and had a history of being uh, a violent cop and all of that is kind of pushed away because oh he's been convicted you know he we are getting justice out of this but i also say this again because when the verdict was read i was sitting in uh, i was sitting in a park and, uh, you know, I live in Bed-Stuy, which is a historically black neighborhood. And as I was sitting there, everyone in the park began to cheer and the cars were honking and people were, were really, really finding joy in this moment. And 
and I, and as, again, as a non-black person, I can't speak to what this looks like as justice within the black community. Uh, and of course, like there, there is this struggle because we've also been, uh, we've been trained to see the carceral system as just that I was like, oh yes, of course he should be in jail. He committed a crime and he deserves to be punished. But then, as you just said, there's this reality that he won't serve a lot of time. Also, it's already been announced that he will not be put in general population. So we know that his time in prison, which will be short, will not be an actual experience of prison. He will have a privileged experience of prison. Uh, Yeah, and so that's really important to know that this man who committed a violent crime, uh, this police officer who committed a violent crime, who killed another unarmed black man, part of this legacy of the maintenance of Jim Crow, um, he will not be in general population. He will have a, a, a shortened sentence of privilege. And I think that that is something that I find just, and which is another reason that I'm an abolitionist, is this, it's just there is no justice in, in this. You know what would be well, just and, and let's, George let's Floyd be clear wasn't here. dead? There's still qualified immunity, which means, look, and, and I've heard stories. And I don't know if it's true that this guy's like, you know, banked, a, you know, like a million bucks between he and his wife or whatever else. But, you know, the, there's still qualified immunity. He he will not ever have to face any financial um, obligations because of because of this. I mean, yeah, the the, the police department, you know, they make their settlements. Right. But but cops are never held to account so he won't even be sued personally and to make matters worse he doesn't even risk losing his police pension so he's probably going to make another million dollars over the course of his life drawing a drawing a police pension i mean so what what i hear people talk call this justice i mean there's a part of me look and and i don't want anybody to to feel bad for for celebrating and 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 i get it i like i said i but uh, we all know, and I've mentioned it many times, that Native people, um, you know, actually, you know, die by cop at an even higher rate—not a higher volume, but a higher rate than uh, than anybody else. So, you know, I still took this very, very personally as I as I was watching this. And look, I was hoping for a conviction. Don't get me wrong, but I don't look at this as in any way, shape, or form you know, any type of justice, you know, I, I can't help it. Something I started visualizing the, the scales of justice <laughs> and it, 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 hear me out of this one. So on one side you have somebody like, you know, like, like a dead person, like, like, like George Floyd or Breonna Taylor or anybody else you have on one side of that scale, somebody with, with all of us just hanging off the edge of that scale, trying to keep it balanced or trying to get some balance. And what's on the other side? You've got cops, heavily armed cops, militarized cops. You've got, you know, a, a whole body of really tough crime bills and, and crime laws out there. You've got judges that have already shown bias. You've got prosecutors that have shown bias. You've got the, the um, uh, you know, uh, the whole system of, of lawyering up that really are always going to try to convince their, their look i went through this i went through a criminal trial and and the lawyers tried to talk you into into taking a plea deal so they want you to plead guilty even if, you, even if you're, you're not guilty of anything you've got you've got this whole system of surveillance and weapons and equipment and 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 a prison system you you've got all of these things on one end of that 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 balance right and a bunch of us hanging off the edge on the other side 
there's no way that this thing is is ever you know this idea of justice being blind and uh, and that there being some sort of balance here there's no balance here and and again just as you you pointed out so this guy gets convicted of second degree murder so for the rest of his life we can everybody can call him a convicted murderer right but in the meantime george floyd still di- uh, still died Breonna Taylor still died. Uh, this uh, this this Bryant girl still died. The, the Wright, the, the Dante Wright, just uh, who just died. All these people, Freddie Gray and uh, and Eric Garner and uh, you know Sandra Bland. These people all died. There there's there's no justice there. There's there's no way that you can balance. The scales don't balance here. And why doesn't it balance? Because exactly what you said, Regan. This system is not was never geared for this it was never geared to be balanced this wasn't about making sure that i mean you know it's been brought up on on some of these other uh you know networks and uh and talking heads that and it's been reminded over and over again that the police departments the police started out being slave patrols the whole idea of arming citizenry to come up with these the was about slave patrols and frankly you know to, to defend against the nerve of some of those native people who might want some of their land back. So this is yeah, about I mean, being able to shoot, shoot native people and black people. That is literally, I think, I think that people don't, you know, I was just actually, I just finished up um, a history seminar specifically on unregulated police policy. It just finished up last week and it was really interesting to be in conversation with other historians talking about the history of policing and, um, and understanding how that affects unregulated police policy today. Now, mind you, I was one of the only abolitionists in the group, so often I felt a little bit like a fish out of water, but it was a really great conversation to be in and unpacking what you are saying, which is we are not exaggerating when we say that police, that the the way that we vision police today were created specifically out of slave patrols and to remove natives off land. That is why the police exist today. There is no, that is history. And and I find that to and I I think that's so poignant and important to really hammer home because I feel like people don't believe me or other historians or other people when we say this. But that is the reality. Like that is the factual reality is that police forces came out of slave patrols and to remove natives off land. We're talking about an incredibly racist institution and it has maintained that legacy. The protection of property over people is part of the legacy and history of every police department in this so-called country. You cannot escape that. You cannot redefine that. That is what it is. And so I find this to be something that people really need to understand because also there is a legacy and of people, uh, of cops within families. It is rare that you like many people, like your dad's a cop, so I became a cop, this is a cop. Like there's a generational, cops are, are often what's referred to as generational, uh, what's, what's the term? It's a generational career in which many people usually just maintain that career throughout the lineage of their life. So we're talking about in the same way that indigenous people have to, and, and people of color have to carry the trauma of our, of our past ancestors through our DNA, and we have to unpack that constantly, we're talking about an entire force of people who have largely been defined by a history of violence, who are also carrying around that learned DNA. 
And so I think that there there, there that is bias, a larger, that bias that is yeah, inter, that intergenerational. Bias. Inter, exactly. And, and, you know, just like we carry around the, this intergenerational victimization, uh, then they carry around being the victimizers. I mean, and that's and and so the, the bias in, that that is handed down. I mean, they, these are the conversations that are happening in these families, you know, uh, uh, the, where the child becomes the, the cop. I mean, so you're right. I mean, I I think this is all that that this is also important to understand. And and again, you mentioning, you know, going beyond the slave patrols to be really charged with protecting property. And and who had property? I mean, historically, it, it was white people who had property. And, and I don't mean land and, and slaves only. I mean, this was about protecting buildings and inanimate objects and, and not just, you know, not just, you know, securing runaway slaves and that kind of stuff. And and we see that today, even as they, you know, the, the news media and everybody else catches up on all this, this potential damage to buildings over riots and that kind of stuff. And there's a higher priority. I mean, I've seen you know, some of what came out of Ferguson were some of these guys, some young kids who got some serious jail time for for throwing a, you know, one of those traffic cones at a cop car because he damaged property. I mean, it's insane. I mean, I I, I haven't spoken about this, but I, I feel like this is the place to bring it up. I am currently being charged with a number of uh, with a number of misdemeanors uh, specifically for protecting the land. And uh, by working with folks at Line 3 to end the pipeline that is going through Anishinaabe and Dakota Territory. Uh, and it's not something that I've been sharing widely or publicly for a number of reasons, but it's something that I feel like needs to be brought up in this moment, specifically because this is another example in which there is a threat to my own life of being put into the carceral system because property is more important than land and people in the eyes of the police, in the eyes of the state. And we see this constantly, constantly exercised against people of color, where they're, whether it's throwing a cone at a cop car, whether it's looting, which by the way, who cares? Most of the places that are being looted are huge stores with an immense amount of money. It doesn't matter if you go into a Target and steal a bunch of stuff. It's irrelevant in terms of Target. Target will be okay. They have plenty of money. So, and, and, and then we're talking on a larger scale about black people being hunted by the police. This is all about protecting property over people, protecting property over land. There is no way to divorce the, like, the insidious racism and capitalism that was purposefully built into the police departments it's not like it infiltrated it's not like this these uh this ulterior motive has infiltrated police departments police were literally made to do this and so i don't find justice within hearing about derek chauvin being uh being convicted of murder because in the end what, where, where will this end? What does this do? This is one conviction out of 16,000 people that have been murdered by the police. One conviction. Right. That's, that, we're talking about a tiny statistical anomaly. And, that's, and these are, again, the, the number that I, that I read, that's also just of reported police murders. Like, that's not even right. of unreported police murders. That doesn't even cover the, the history of the of police murdering specifically black men. 
So I just, I don't find this to be just, and you know what I find even more absurd is the reaction by, uh, by, by politicians in terms of the conviction. And I, I wonder, I assume you have, but I, I wonder, John, have you, did you see what Nancy Pelosi said? I heard she what she said. Oh, yeah. God, oh, it was absurd. I'm going to read it. Um, I have it pulled up. Please do. Please do. Because <laughs> this is what Nancy Pelosi said about the verdict, okay? Thank you, George Floyd, for sacrificing your life for justice, for being there to call out to your mom. How heartbreaking was that? And because of you, your name will always be synonymous with justice, end quote. I was so you know, and, angered. And, and, well, and, and and let let's unpack that a little bit more. Yes, please. With if 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 those handful of people, um, and the the one the one girl who who testified specifically hadn't recorded this thing, there would have been no conviction here. If no. they didn't have this so clearly documented by video and sound, this conviction never would have happened. And and the nerve of Nancy Pelosi to thank somebody he didn't sacrifice himself he was murdered for Christ's sake yes he would have been sacrificed also, he didn't he didn't volunteer you know to, to 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 be on the front lines of social justice he was a victim and and look it's one thing to say your 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 death you know will not be you know in complete vain or something like that but to but to thank somebody for sacrificing man that, I mean I just, don't I, these people I, think. Well, also, we have to we have to talk about the term sacrifice because sacrifice is so often used in terms of yeah. justice and is a way to avoid uh, abolition. We yeah. we and and also a way to exalt people into a, in a into a status of hero without unpacking the reality of, of what is happening. So, first of all, it wasn't a sacrifice because it wasn't a choice. He didn't choose. Right. It, it, it somehow bizarrely suggests that George Floyd had a choice in this situation when and actually yeah. there was no choice and there was zero control over that and he was murdered. So first of all, that's absurd. Secondly, the term sacrifice is often used in communities of color as a way to uh, to justify constant resource extraction and violence. Uh, yeah. Let me give an example. Sacrifice like, zones, right? Of a sacrifice <laughs> zone, exactly. Yeah. We are not sacrificing sacrifice zones people of color are not sacrifice zones our lands aren't sacrifice zones and our bodies aren't sacrifice zones the fact that she would even suggest that this is a a place of sacrifice just proves how disconnected she is and other politicians i have another thing i'll pull in a second but how how politicians are so inept and truly it is i i thought it was crazy that she would even bring up the fact that he called out for his mother before he was murdered. I just think, and that the fact that she finds that his name will always be synonymous to justice, the entire quote was so, so tone deaf. And I'm glad that she's being dragged about this. And yeah. even see, I mean, yeah. CNN even wrote an, an, an article and I'm not saying CNN is like where you should get all your news, but I'm just surprised that even CNN wrote about how tone deaf her statement was. And this just brings up the reality that that there is a disconnect between the fact that George Floyd was murdered and this conviction. There is a disconnect there, and somehow it 
this is going to continue to placate reformist ideologies. Using the term sacrifice right. was strategic and violent. Well, and, and when you use words like sacrifice, it's almost like you justify it. You know, you're saying, you, you know, you, you, you did good. You did good. Exactly. And, How dare and, he? And there is no greater good out of this thing. You know, and he is his name is not synonymous with justice. It might be synonymous with with one of the rare convictions of a white cop. But, you know, I want to back up just for one second, because I, I got to get back to this to this notion of um, why he, why he wasn't charged with first degree murder. And the reason mm -hmm. he wasn't charged is because with these two charges, a, a second and third, they didn't have to prove intent. And 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 that bothers me in, in many ways, because if you're a racist, you don't have to have a specific intent against George Floyd. If, if you already think that black people's lives don't matter or any people, any people of color, that their lives don't matter. You don't have to have specific intent towards that individual because you've already diminished the value of life. And somehow the idea of killing without intent is is better. I mean, I, I, there's there's a language issue here and and there's there's a message in this thing. So if you if you just kill somebody because you can, that doesn't mean you had intent. And so that means you get a lesser charge. Yeah. And and so so all of this stuff gets back to this to this notion of of the the so-called justice system and the flaws that exist in it and and how this thing you know how this thing weighs out as I, you know I talked about that the the scales of the, that justice it is so weighted against the one side is so weighted against justice I mean look I've heard and and this judge for instance who is supposed to be the arbiter of just this justice. He's already weighed in. I mean, his comments about Maxine Waters' comments, you know, has already, has already shown bias. And we've seen judge after judge after judge that you can clearly see the bias they have. I've seen judges literally in, 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 in actions, in, even back here in Seneca territory, that have bolstered the state's case against, uh, uh, you know, against a, um, a defendant. And 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 this is what we see. So all of those things are on one side, and then there's us, you know. And we're not, and we're not even. We're frankly, most of us aren't even fighting for justice. We're fighting for our lives, yeah. and that's that's not that's not even justice. I I think that what I really, what I hope that folks understand, and something that I'm really thankful to to have uh, in this in this uh, police policy course that I that I took. Um, or an unregulated police policy course that I took, I was really thankful that one of the things that the instructors really tried to hammer home, which I don't think a lot of people realize, is that the court itself is a part of the system. That we don't, we're not going to find justice within the court system. Judges are also a part of a racist uh, carceral system, and so I found this to be uh, to be not just important but also eye-opening that laws often uphold poor police conduct. Judges often uphold poor police conduct. And I think this is one of those examples that even though he was convicted, the lack of a first degree murder charge proves to me that the courts are scared to even to charge someone who overtly targeted this man, overtly killed George Floyd, even, even on video, on video. 
with plenty of people testifying that he knew George Floyd from the past. With all of that, we still do not see a real conviction. We do not see a real charge with a real conviction. And I think that that is something that I don't, I've never really considered until I, I was, you know, I've been reading more and more about uh, abolition and the judge's role within upholding police reform. And it's, it's, it's shocking to me, but I, we can't divorce the courts as participating in the system of policing. Well, and it's why when, when you listen to Kamala Harris, you know, give a, give a statement. I mean, how many cops did she prosecute? I mean, how many police officers did she prosecute as a uh, as not only a prosecutor, but as a, as a state attorney general in California? How I mean, many people did she put in and, jail and prison? Exactly. <laughs> and, and, you know, so this this is all problematic for me, just like, you know, frankly, listening, listening to Joe Biden and his support for the crime bill and some of that stuff. I mean. Man, I'll, I'll tell you, watching all of these these people in, in these elected positions and these white people in positions of power celebrate this. I mean, I, there's a part of me that feels like, you know what, even 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 a racist has to throw, you know, has, has to, you know, has to throw one of their own under the bus every once in a while. And, you know, and I honestly, for the life of me, couldn't imagine how uh, this guy was going to be acquitted i and in fact i didn't think he'd be acquitted but i my fear was it only took would have taken one juror to hang this jury and that's why i didn't have confidence that he he would be be convicted even though i mean we never see a police chief or or an, another parade of uh, of police officers they they were all ready to throw him under a bus except for the except for the, the guys who were right there with him helping helping him kill this guy and, you know, and and of course, we, we still still have a major problem when everybody says, well, it's one bad apple. No, if, if you have an entire thin blue line that doesn't allow people to, uh, you know, to to stand up. I mean, I, you know, among the people that I really uh, feel bad for were the ones who were standing there on the sidewalk who were just wrestling with this idea, should we should we intervene? Should we try to do something? Should we physically remove this cop from, from, from George Floyd's neck? I mean, I know that had to be really, really difficult. And, and some of them who testified in court, they, they talked about the difficulty. I mean, I, I just can't get past this, all of these people. And look, as, as you said early on, we can't blame any of the folks who were the, the, the black people who were directly involved in this struggle. We can't blame any of them for celebrating, but I'm sorry. When I start seeing white people celebrate, ah, man, I have a, I have a real problem with it. I have a real problem with it. I, yeah, it's just, it's just a hard, it's, you know, and, and it's a hard thing to unpack as, as a person of color, um, who is not black is where is my, where is my role in, in supporting, you know, black joy, especially in a time of such abhorrent violence against, against the community and you know like when we when we call for actions like black lives matter actions we follow the lead of black organizers always and we listen to their voices and we uplift their voices and we we do what we are meant to do as accomplices in this fight against the police state against settler colonialism and so it was just it was one of those moments for me especially when i was sitting at the park and people were celebrating community members you know, who I, who I, who I know, and I, I'm in community with celebrating and not to be that person that's like, well, you know, 
There's no, there's no justice in the carceral system. You know, like I, I, that's I, why I'm glad our show I, is a couple of days afterwards, so we can have this conversation without feeling like killjoys necessarily. But also, well, it's also an important conversation to have, which is that like there is a spectrum of radicality, and radicality as a practice is hard. You know, we read radical theory. Uh, or our abolitionist theory to really like inform us but then we also live within under the boot of the settler colonial state so what does it look like to be an abolitionist and also to be in a state that does not and will and does not support abolition and where do we find joy in convictions knowing that someone will not they'll have a privileged time within the their incarceration and also that the carceral state is you know is is garbage like i think that it's one of those times where you're really trying to to juggle a lot of contradictions that that all of us um all of us participate in in some way shape or form and so i see my my community celebrating um a conviction in a time where their exhaustion is so intense and this can feel like a relief but then I also read the article that Axios put out earlier today about how um, this this verdict specifically will reduce pressure for police reform and how both right. Republicans and Democrats, senior Democrats and senior Republicans have already voiced uh, to, to a number of, of eight, uh, to a number of people, to a number of um, journalistic websites as well, that that this uh that this t- that this conviction takes the pressure off police reform. And, See, the and system so, worked. See, it yeah. works, right? Yeah, yeah, everything's fine. We're we're all good. Yeah. And it's already we're already bypassing the fact that a young black girl was killed in Columbus, Ohio, by the police. You know, like it's it's in the same way that I I I I hated that Biden became president because I knew that it would keep people out of the streets. This is it's a, sometimes I feel similarly in this moment where. I, I am thankful to see that there is conviction for those who 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 need that, you know, to, to maintain yeah. their survivance. But I also am, am disgusted that um, that there is this system that continues and that we have to continue doing the work to completely destroy the carceral system, to destroy and abolish all police. Because look at what politicians are saying already that this that this conviction will will take the pressure off of them to do justice by the people. Well, and, and I also have to remind people that this guy's going to appeal. And, you know, and, and then you had this, again, this judge literally say, well, because of Maxine Waters' comments, I guess you guys have grounds for an appeal now. I mean, he, I mean, he didn't have to even say that, but, but this judge goes ahead and says that. And here's where I get really concerned is because in the wake of this, you get Merrick Garland, the, the U.S. Attorney General, announcing his probe into the Minneapolis Police Department. So what happens if the they do this probe and they come up with all of these systemic problems in the Minneapolis Police? Doesn't that actually help Derek Chauvin's uh, appeal? If he if if he can doesn't that strengthen his argument that that he was operating in the system as it existed and that that he that he shouldn't be held accountable individually because because the the because of the flaws of the police department I as soon as I heard this probe being announced I'm thinking this may this this may produce information that'll that'll let this guy walk I mean and I, and I and look I'm not a lawyer 
um, and I rarely even hire them. <laughs> so <laughs> I could be completely off here, but um, but I got to tell you, th- there are certain things that I hear that become these little, little triggers for me that suggest there's something else going on here. And, and I'm thinking, this guy's convicted. If, if somehow the U.S. Attorney General and the Justice Department comes through and come up with this big laundry list of shortcomings that the Minneapolis PD has, um, I don't know how that you know, and and we know they all have shortcomings, right? We we know that this is all systemic. I just wonder if his if you know this killer cops defense attorneys aren't going to you know hope they come up with this laundry list of things that that they can say. See this is what, see like I said, this is part of his training. I also am fearful that um, because people are becoming so fixated on the Minneapolis PD that there will be. Um, the, the narrative will now become, oh, this is a this is a Minneapolis issue. This is a Minnesota issue. When the reality is, this is a a national issue. And so I think that that is that people are going to be like, oh, well, you know, th- this whole bad apple narrative can also fall to the precincts. Oh, well, we just have to reform Minneapolis PD, where three people were murdered within the, what was a seven mile radius in less than a year. Um, that's the issue. It's not all of the police. It's not a larger, a larger conversation about, um, police abolition. And I think that that is, I also see that becoming, um, a sticky situation, but I remind folks that police precincts throughout this country have murdered, um, black folks in violent, violent ways for a very, very long time. And this isn't just a a Minneapolis problem, you know? This is a this is an everywhere problem. And it's not even just an urban problem. I mean, and again, no, I, not at all. Uh, I, I have to mention the, what native people go through. Most of um, the death by cops that native people experience uh, has nothing to do with with some urban police uh, police department. It is, you know, it's the you know, it's it's county sheriffs. It's it's state police. It's it's frankly, frankly, it's a it's federal police. It's um Bureau of Indian Affairs, you know, tribal, you know, tribal police. It's, tribal police. it's all of these things. Yeah. And so, yeah, look, it isn't it isn't just these these massive um, urban police departments that, that I mean, for the life of me, it, it's bizarre to me when I'm in some little podunk town and you see their, you know, their three cops and they and they all have sidearms. Why? I mean, why do these people even have these weapons? I mean, look, this this Dante uh, Wright being killed by a, a woman who was on this force for 20 years or so, and she she claims and 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 maybe even if she did legitimately mistake shooting with a gun, thinking it was her taser, this is the level of incompetence, and and it's all the reason why they shouldn't. I, I'm, I'm with you on this one, <laughs> by the way, Regan. Don't get me wrong here. But um, just the am- amount of lethal weaponry that these guys have, that alone is, is just a huge problem. I mean, I, I was listening to, you know, to an NPR report where this one police department said they, they hadn't had a, um, um, a, a death by cop or a, or a, a you know, a, a a lethal or fatal lethal use of force in their police department in like seven years. So why are, why all the weapons? I mean, it, it's obviously not necessary. It's a cop shouldn't have guns. Cops shouldn't exactly. have guns at all. I, they, like they shouldn't have yeah. them. They shouldn't yeah. carry I, guns. 
They don't carry guns in many countries. Um, and a lot of the fact that the uh, police are so uh, heavily weaponized and so heavily militarized came out of post 9-11, um, which was when there well, was- and, a, and Watts. I mean, for, you know, from what I from what I understood, there used to be only SWAT teams. I mean, the only, the only police officers that had all of this, you know, all of these this weaponry where i mean i'm not saying they didn't have sidearms before that but but all of these cops with all of this weaponry that was usually a very very specific unit that only were called upon when a violent situation was in play they were never called to they weren't ever called to go bust through a door of brianna taylor to uh you know and, and shoot up an apartment Unless there was somebody in there shooting, shooting from out, from from within the apartment, out and, and killing people, there would never be this kind of a militarized police force that would show up. So this is how much things have changed. When, when, and and basically some of this change came because of not just 9/11, and I, and I'll give you that, but but from what I understand, these SWAT teams became elevated as uh, you know after you know you know, after there was more uprisings of uh, people of color. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't want to say it all came out of 9-11. It's just something that uh, you can see the police budget changing after 9-11 across the country. Sure, um, sure. And the weapons that, that police then carry become military grade. And that's why when you see the NYPD, they now look like the military. The NYPD doesn't look like, you know, the Billy Cub, uh, Billy Club wearing cop that you see in the film. Uh, like that's actually not the reality. The NYPD is one of the most uh, well-funded police departments and incredibly militarized. But that's also true across the nation in larger cities. Um, but also not even just in larger cities, a lot of this funding has infiltrated and a lot of this weaponry has infiltrated into smaller police uh, precincts throughout the country. So we're talking about uh, people who are maybe not super well-trained because to become a cop, it doesn't take a lot of training. It's six months <laughs> um, being given military grade weaponry and then told and participate in the violent extermination of people of color. Like this is actually an ongoing uh, participation in, of genocide. And so I find that the, the militarization of the United States police department as uh, police departments throughout this so-called country, is incredibly important to the continuation of violence because this is an absurd way to arm people. There is no need. Also, there should never be a mistake between taser and gun. I don't believe that, by the way, for folks who may think that just because we're talking about it. I, I firm, I do not believe that. That's not. That's absurd. That she thinks that that's a way to to like uh, appease her guilt. Um, also, yeah. I think it's incredibly important for folks to understand that um uh what's her what was her first name Kelly I know her last name is Potter but she also participated in training that Kimberly. was meant to I'm Kimberly, sorry I thought it was Kimberly Potter yeah Kimberly, Kimberly Potter yeah, yeah Kimberly okay I was like I know starts with the K she was part of the um post Alton Sterling shooting training to so there she was go. was part of this retraining that was done with more funding uh to, you know, after after the Minneapolis police murdered another black man, um, they were well funded to do retrainings as part of this reformist movement. And she was part of that training and still murdered an unarmed black man. So when people say that the way out of this violent cycle uh, is to give 
police departments more money and to train them more, she's a perfect example of how that does not work. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and of course, you know, some of the most obvious things is, is why, why does a taser even have to look like a gun? I mean, I mean, it's why, why aren't they yellow? <laughs> you know, also why, why even, why use violence against a man who has um, air fresheners hanging on his car? Uh, like really? And this wasn't like, this wasn't a big guy, and he already had two, you know, male officers, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, that had a hold of him. Yeah, yeah, he was trying to get away, but but you know what? I also think that there's a real issue with the use of force not ever matching up with the. You know, I don't even call it a crime because we don't even know what the, when there's crime involved yet. I mean, I mean, George Floyd was accused of passing a counterfeit twenty dollar bill, and he died yeah, as a result it's of absurd. that. I mean, how? I mean, how? You know, and and what it is is these cops get outraged when when somebody doesn't completely, you know, fold to them. And, and, and George Floyd wasn't offering, you know, uh, resistance the way these guys are. Yeah, he was a big guy. He was a big guy. Eric Garner, Garner was a big guy. irrelevant. Yeah, I, but, but they want to suggest that somehow they're, they're because of their size and, yeah. and, of course, quietly their color, they're, they're more dangerous. And, and that, you know, that, that, frankly, that was part of the, the, part of the defense. Yeah. And but the reality is it was a twenty dollar bill. It was it was it, Eric Garner. It was he was accused of and he wasn't even doing it. But he was accused of, of at the time anyway, of selling cigarettes, loose cigarettes, not a truckload of cigarettes, not boxes and cases of cigarettes, but a pocket full of loose cigarettes. That's what they were. That's that's what they choked him, choked him to death for. I mean, it's it is it's absurd. I mean, there is no way that that use of this kind of violent force should ever be uh, used unless it is a violent situation when the cops show up there. Um, and, 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 and even then I, I have, I've major problems with this stuff. I mean, you know, there, there's, they've already started to reform um, what um, the idea of uh, high speed chases and why? Because cops have killed people trying to trying to run people, you know, run people over. We've seen it time and time again in in Aquasasne, Mohawk territory at the border. One of the border agents um, chased chased somebody, uh, or I think it was a border agent who chased somebody on on Cornwall Island, and uh, and some white people got killed because they caused an accident with a high speed chase. And, and but the idea of you know chasing somebody on foot. Or in a car, creating a more a, 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 a greater potentially violent situation, like you know, like this, you know, this 13-year-old kid who they who they chased in Chicago and then shot oh, when he complied. Yeah. I mean, it's it, man, it just repeats itself over again. So look, and again, I don't want to condemn anybody who who is feeling some sense of relief that a conviction came out of um, out of you know, this murder of George Floyd. I, I, and, and I get that. I just have to caution people. And, and, and this is where I, this is the conversation I wanted, uh, wanted to have with you. I, I just think people need to, need to not let this seem like there the system worked. I, I just don't want people to, to, to become, uh, 
uh, complacent because mm-hmm. because what one for the good team i mean it isn't that it's not even it doesn't even work that way I mean, and and look i i heard some of the folks were calling this a win man i i just struggle i just struggle with that kind of characterization this is not a win there is no such thing as winning under settler colonialism under capitalism without the complete destruction of both the institutions of settler colonialism and capitalism. We do not find justice in a carceral system that was made to maintain slavery. We do not find justice in putting one killer cop away when the reality is that all cops are killer cops. You know, this isn't justice for 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 a number of reasons when we talk about the the larger scale of oppression that police uh, that the police force maintains. Abolition is absolute. It's a, it calls for the destruction of the settler state. Anything less is reformist, and re- reform celebrates oppression through tactics of assimilation. Like yep. we're not out here because we want to maintain the status quo of how the police manage and police us. Like this isn't. There is no justice under a state of oppression, and I, I re- and and the and people who don't get that don't understand what oppression looks like and what it feels like and what it is like to be every day targeted. And many of us don't understand that as non-black people as well. And so I just find this discussion of justice to be so absurd when the reality is that this is not justice. He, you know, the real justice is that George Floyd should still be alive. The real justice is the complete abolition of police everywhere because it is a racist institution. It's the destruction of the carceral state completely. And it's the complete upheaval of settler colonialism. It's all interconnected. We can't ignore how it's interconnected. And we also can't ignore that someone was murdered in order for us to continue, not just someone, many people over years have been murdered by the police. You know, like this is, this is, this is not justice. This is not justice. Well, and, and the crazy part is, you know, we, I, I think about, um, and I'm wearing my, I'm going to flash it on my um, Facebook page here. Um, I, I've got my uh, Colin Kaepernick, you know, seven uh, shirt on. Um, I haven't heard from Colin Kaepernick in any of this. And, and I'm curious, I, I, I'm, and I'm wondering if the reason we haven't heard from him is because he's not providing the narrative that people want to hear right now because his concern wasn't over one conviction. His concern was the problem, the bigger problem. And, yeah. and of course, if you, you want to talk about justice, look what happened to his life. I mean, you know, the, the idea that, that somebody did a, about as peaceful a demonstration as possible to, to br- bring attention. And he was eviscerated, you know, in the media, every, you know, uh, you know, by the very profession that he that he participated in. I mean, and and now, and and I get get back to your, your comments about about looting. You know what? I, I I get people, you know, you know, trying to raise that as a big issue. But you know what? If there isn't some destruction of personal property when when these things occur. Why, why, do, why does anybody think the Washington football team changed its name? It wasn't because they, they got a conscience. And it, it's because of Target 
and, and Walmart and Nike and Amazon and some of these these places who know that they are have been the beneficiaries of some of these you know you know some of this racism and they're they're responding to their concern about it, it taking money out of their pocket and that's why they that that's why they press this issue with with the Washington football team so I, I mean, also there's a there's a no go, oh, go ahead go ahead I also think that something that 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 we talk about with looting when people are like oh why are they looting why are they looting it's just such a capitalistic um, way to think because why are you protecting capital over life? Why do you care if a Target is looted, if a Walmart is looted? Like, why do you have such a uh, commitment and such loyalty to a company that doesn't care about you, that destroys the earth, that doesn't actually want anything from you but your money? And I yeah. just find that to be an absurd thing that people bring up. Oh, they shouldn't be looting. Don't tell people of color how to manage our anger we are righteous in the anger we we're talking about lives and you're talking about t-shirts on shelves don't waste my not time not the starbucks not the starbucks not the not a starbucks <laughs> that not only supports israel constantly with financial money but also just uh, is destroying the environment with its single yeah. source origin coffee like do yeah. not it's an absurd yeah. argument stop making it yeah, I, I I agree completely. I agree. Hey, by the way, um, because I don't know how short our time is here. Did you uh, were you able to check out um, exterminate all the brutes at all? No. You know what? I'm so glad that you remind me because it's on my list and I'm going to do that. And we should, let's I'm going to watch it so we can talk about it. Yeah, we, we got to talk about it uh, um, because there's interpretations that, that need to come from some of this because it, it's, it is it's it's artistic. And so some of it is subject to interpretation. So I want to that's what I really look forward to. And for, for those of you who are listening um, to to, to and I have a conversation here, uh, <laughs> by all means, check out Exterminate All the Brutes. I look forward to having a, conver a bigger conversation. Regan, thank you so much and uh, look forward to doing it again next week. 